Crenshaw. Thank you, Paula. Woo. Man, I did, man. I needed it. God, I'll take anything I can get, brother. Jeez. Man, for all the beards and mustaches, way to grow, baby. Way to grow. Man, that was great. Did you guys get any rest last night? Any sleep? No? Yeah? Well, this morning, man, we want to dive back in. You know, yesterday, if you weren't here with us, first off, man, welcome. Welcome to base camp. Um, Yesterday, we started talking about the climb. We started talking about that every single one of us as men have got these different mountains that we're going to climb. Let me put it this way. Mountains that God has allowed to be put in front of us. If we choose to climb those mountains, that's our call. But God has said this, and remember the passage we looked at, we started with yesterday in Habakkuk 3.17. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. The make, it's a process. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me. He, he doesn't put a gun to my head. With our marriages, God says, look, it's my agenda. I want you to have a good marriage. I want you to have a solid family. I want you to have a good job and career. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. So we talked about this, and we even looked at Mount Everest. Here's this mountain that's 29, over 29,000 feet above sea level. There's the mountain, and we talked about Talked about the very first American, Jim Whitaker, 1963, May 1st, 1963. Very first American to ever climb that thing. Well, since then, there's been over 6,000 people who have climbed Mount Everest. So here's the point that I want you to hear or be reminded of again. It's doable. It's doable. You sit here and think, man, Scott, I, I don't know if I can have a successful marriage. Can I tell you something? It's been done before. Is doable. Now that's just looking at other men who have done it. And then you've also got a God who says, look, I want to come undergird you. I want to empower you. I want to direct you so you can have that kind of marriage. So he sits here and he tells us, man, he makes my feet. And that makes that word that we looked at is talking about a process. It doesn't happen like that. I would love it if, man, today, pastor came up here and Trevor were up here and we just prayed, man, over individual men and you just automatically had the mind of Christ where, man, all the stuff from your old past, man, was gone and you were just successful marriage immediately. You had your complete identity of who you are in Christ. But can I tell you something? That's a process, my friends. But a process that God says, do you want it? Because if you want it, come. Come and follow me and start this process. And what is base camp? What is base camp? Base camp, man, is a safe place. It's a safe place for a dangerous message. It's a safe place for men to be able to come to and rip open that chest cavity and say, can I, can I just share? This is what I'm struggling with. Base camp is a place where we as men can undergird each other. Paul, man, like you said, I love that passage of Aaron and her. Now that's got to be a tough name. Not Aaron. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Seriously, this is my dad. Who's your dad, her? I'm confused. 
Yeah, and so was dad. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that, that whole story, that's such an incredible story, Paul, because here are these men who they were undergirding Moses. And when he was undergirding man, they, he, he had their support. His hands stayed up and God was victorious man with the, in the battle. And that's, that's a beautiful picture of what we need to be. You see, listen to me, gentlemen. Way too many times we kind of isolate ourselves. And we need to realize that God has created us. He created mankind to live and do life in community. And what the enemy wants to do, you tell me if I'm missing this, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to isolate so he can annihilate. Now, if you're like me, my boys were little. Our favorite shows we love watching on television were the animal shows. Animal Planet and all these animal shows. We loved it. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, I had three boys. So we weren't watching shows about, you know, little fuzzy ferrets and little bunnies. Oh, Dad, look at the bunny. No. Show we like what's called carnivore. In other words, something's got to die. <laughs> right? And, and you, you would see these times, man, where these these cheetahs and, and lions would come after these massive uh, wildebeest or water buffaloes. And, and what they would do every time, that herd would be running. They'd be running together as a herd because there's strength in that. There's strength in their safety and, and the good herd. And what the enemy would try to do every time is he would try to get that one to stray off by itself. And you've seen the video. I want to stray off by itself, and that's where, man, the enemy would attack. The enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to isolate you. Can I tell you something? There's a reason. The scripture talks about in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us not give up meeting together. Talking about church. Let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. We need to come together. Now, gentlemen, I'm not just talking about setting the example for other generations. I'm not just talking about, hey, if we're going to be leaders, we need to set the example. We need to be in the house of God. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be in base camp. But I'm talking about the need for us that we need to have that kind of time. We need to have it poured into us. And let me hit one more just real quick. So many times people will say, well, Scott, can't I worship God on the golf course? I'm like, yeah. I've seen some of y'all play golf. You need God on the golf course, right? <laughs> Scott, can I worship God out there while I'm fly fishing? Yes, you can. Can I worship God in a deer blind? Many times I have. But listen to me. Normally when people use that phrase, Scott, can I worship God like that out there, right? It's legitimate, but what it's saying is, it's about me. That's a consumer mentality. Can I ask you this, man? Could it be, could it be that Father is sitting here looking at you saying, there is something you are going to bring to the table at that church today. There's somebody you are going to encourage today. There's going to be somebody you, when they walk in and you just get near them, God gives you a prophetic word for them. Could it be that church is not just about us consuming and it being about us? Could it be that we, listen, gentlemen, come on, we're the providers. Why would we not be the providers inside of the house of God? Just a thought. So we talked about that there's been over 6,000 people who have made the climb. 
But the reality is there's been a multitude of others who haven't made it. In fact, the truth is about Everest, there's been over 300 people who died. Some of the very first were 1921, there was a British doctor. <laughs> Brother died before he even got to the mountain. Boy, that stinks. And then he had 17, I'm sorry, he had seven of his porters who ended up going up the mountain with the rest of the team who died in an avalanche. 1996, 12 people died trying to reach the summit. In fact, that's the most uh, people that died in any, any one time. In 1996, it's interesting, in 1996, one out of four people would die. After 1996, it turned to... One out of seven. Wouldn't it be incredible if the divorce rate in this city started dropping because what God started doing in the men's lives here at base camp? Somebody. Would that not be messed up? CNN would have to report on something like that. Dude, to be able to say, man, divorce rate in America continues to climb, except in a small town in Utah. 1996, man, that death rate went from one, one out of four to one out of seven. On April 18th, 2014, there were 16 of the Sherpas who were killed in an avalanche fall. A year later, another 19 people would die in another avalanche fall. See, here's what I simply want you to hear is this. The mountain is there and the invitation has been given by God. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it is possible. And so God gives this invitation, man, for us to come and be a part of this. Yes, there, there were uh, the avalanches. Yes, there was the difficulties with the oxygen. Yes, there were the climates. Yes, there was the weather that could change like that on a dime uh, going up to Everest. But there were still those who would continue to climb. And can I tell you this? You and me, we're going to have the difficult situations. We're going to have the hardships. But if we're going to climb the mountain and God is saying the mountain of your marriage the mountain of relationship the mountain of you becoming the man that God has created you to be God is inviting you God is inviting you saying we can do this and I'm calling you to it and the beautiful thing is what would it look like if we had all these individual men who started saying to God okay God I'm in and then all those men started coming together. And they were able to create what's called base camp. So let me hit this today. There's no such thing as a perfect climb. There's no such thing as a perfect climb. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect dad. There's no such thing as a perfect friend. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you this. One of the reasons I love this book is because, baby, it gets real. It gets authentic. 
You know, I'll, I'll talk to people who say, well, you know, Scott, I, I just can't read the Bible. Just because everybody in it's so perfect. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. I was like, dude, which Bible are you reading, man? Are you stinking kidding me? I mean, we start the beginning of the whole book. We get our first man on the scene. We get Adam. Oh, dude, I say, I could teach on Adam. Just here's Adam. I mean, what was wrong with Adam? He was first man. Yeah, he was first man, and he was a big blamer. Dude wouldn't take responsibility. And I know that's none of us. It's maybe you, but it's not me. Right? I mean, the fall, the fall happens. Adam and Eve, God tells them, like we talked about last night, here was a tree. God said to eat everything on the planet. Just don't touch the one tree. The snake comes, speaks to Eve. They eat, they fall. What's the first thing that happens, man? God comes and says, Adam, dude, what's going on? What does Adam do? Instead of going, dude, seriously, oh, my bad. Adam goes, dude, it was the woman that you gave me. Dude, is that not hardcore? Then what's the next thing he does? And I know none of us men do this. He hides. He hides. God shows up. Pew, he's gone. And God has to go, Adam, where are you? Hey, can I tell you something real quick? When God asks you a question, God is never asking for information for him. He's asking for revelation for you. So he asks the question, Adam, dude, why are you running from me? Can I say this to the sons of God in this room? Don't run from him. He's Papa, he's Abba, he's Daddy, he's God. Run to him. Run to him. I screwed up. Oh, God, I can't believe that. No, no, no. Run to him. But then one of the biggest things, I'm not going to harp on Adam too much because I'm going to get to heaven and he's going to be going, dude, throw me under the bus. <laughs> biggest thing that, that I just go, Adam, for real, man, grow up here, was the way the scripture writes the account of the fall when the snake, the serpent, when Satan was talking to Eve, Adam was there. He was standing there. And what he should have done was he should have gone over the snake and grabbed the snake by the face and said, don't talk to my wife like that. Because that's what we protectors do. You, you can look at Adam. You can, you can look at Noah. Some of y'all going, Noah? No, he was the good guy. Yeah, he was. But he's like every one of us, man, messed up. If you remember Adam, yeah, they do the whole, you know, ark thing and they, they land on dry land and they let all the animals out. And the scripture says that Noah planted a garden and, and created a vineyard. And what did he do? Dude ended up getting stone drunk one night, butt naked, man, hanging out in the tent. His kids walk in on him. Some of you are like, dude, you just totally messed up vacation Bible school for me with that story. <laughs> I got a new image, and I'm really not fond of it right now. Man, who do you want to go to? Who do you want to go to? You want to go to David? You want to go to a man after God's own heart? Yeah, that's who we want to be. Dude, can I just remind us just, just real quick that we're all flawed. We're all, there's no perfect climb. Here's David, King David, and, and I love what this passage said. 
In the springtime when kings were off at war, King David was in the top of the tower. He's in the highest tower. Why? Because he's king. He's looking, man, at his whole kingdom. And he looks down and here's this beautiful woman called Bathsheba. Beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And he looks at her. Man, he has lust in his heart. Can I say this real quick? Real quick. I'm going to set some of y'all free with this. Do you know that temptation is not a sin? Did y'all grab that? Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is an opportunity for either obedience or disobedience. Hey, Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. So here, here was David, and so there was the opportunity to either follow God or do it his way. He decided he wanted to do it his way, and, and he, he was gazing, he was staring at this beautiful woman taking a bath on the top of the roof. The reason the bathtubs were up there was because the sun would come down, it would heat the water, and so the women would bathe out there. But King David was in place, man, he's, he's scoping and hoping on her. And I remember, I remember talking to college students one time and saying, hey dudes, y'all need to realize that Seeing a pretty girl is not a sin. I said, it's normally when we start that stare process. It's normally not the first look that gets you in trouble, is it? It's normally that second, third, fourth stare. <laughs> Afterwards, I had a college student come up to me and goes, okay, so what if it's just one real long stare? <laughs> so if you knew the story, you know the story of, 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 of the man after God's own heart. David orders Bathsheba to be brought to his bedchambers, has sex with her. She gets pregnant, finds out. Now, where's her husband? Get this. Her husband's name is Uriah the Hittite. Somebody tell me that's not a bad name. I mean, seriously, he wasn't fooling around with like Ernie the plumber. You know, the, Uriah the Hittite. And so he's off at war fighting for King David. King David has him brought in. Bottom line, man, just to say this. King David got him killed, got Uriah the Hittite killed to cover up for his sin. I know there's another one of the things that we as men never do is try to cover up. But he was a man after God's own heart. I'm just simply trying to tell you this. There are no perfect climbs. Look at Moses. dude. Here was Moses. Moses had anger issues. I mean, that's what it was. Moses, Moses was an Egyptian, and before he led the children of Israel out of uh, uh, Egypt, man, he, he ended up killing a dude. And then when God tells him, hey, Moses, uh, the people are thirsty. I want you to go over, and I want you to talk to this rock. I want you to speak to the rock, and water's going to come out of it. And what does Moses do? Moses goes over with a stick and just smashes it. Had anger issues. You got Pete. <laughs> I love Pete. <laughs> Dude, I can so relate with Pete. I like, when I get to heaven, me and Pete, we're going to hang. I, I promise you. You know, here's, here's Pete, this guy going, Jesus, I'm going to die for you. I got your back. got your six, all right? Ain't nothing going to happen. And Jesus is going, boy, just have a seat. Just, just, just have a seat, man. Pete, before <laughs> Rooster Crows, man, you're going to be freaking out. On, you're betraying me already. So, yeah, Pete was the guy who turned his back on Jesus, man, during a difficult time. Pete was the guy who, when Jesus had Pete walking on water, he took his eyes off Jesus, began to sink. Yeah, here are all these different things about Pete. And, 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 and Pete was also the guy. Can you imagine this? Pete was the guy that Jesus had to rebuke one time. Remember that? Because one of the times Jesus is talking about going to the cross, that wasn't going to be an easy thing. Jesus is talking about going to the cross, and Pete's the guy going, man, that's not going to happen. And Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, had to look at Pete and go, 
Hey, Satan, get behind me. That'd be a crappy way to start your day. There's, there's no such thing, man, as a perfect climb. Jonah, here's a man, here's a prophet. God said, hey, I want you to go to the city. I want you to preach for me. Jonah goes, not going to happen. I hate those people. See, there's no perfect climb. You got anger issues, you got insecurities, you got believing lies, you got lust, you got jealousy, you got addictions, you got people, man, just refusing to grow up. See, here's the fact is that every single one of us, we're going to blow it. Just, just go ahead and tell you that. I was like, well, Scott, we're in church. Yeah. So let me speak truth to you. We're all going to miss it. And normally what happens when we miss it, tell me if I'm missing this. The moment we miss it, the moment we mess up, the moment we make the wrong decision, there's an immediate voice that comes into our ear, and it's normally of condemnation. It's normally the enemy, right? Because what the enemy does is this. He, he holds out, man, whatever it is, that temptation. He says, dude, this will set you free. This is going to make you feel better. You're going to love this. You're going to get strokes by man. Yeah, whatever you're hungry for, baby, it's right there. And the moment we receive it, the moment we choose that, man, he changes his tune. He just goes straight into condemnation. And he starts bringing that guilt on us immediately. He starts speaking things like, man, God can't use you. Dude, you looked at pornography. What, what, you think God can use you? With your anger issue? Oh my goodness, man. You just like totally blew up at your... You think God is going to be able to use you? You fell. Okay. Show me somebody who hasn't. The enemy's going to speak to you and he's going to say, man, you're not worthy. Can't believe you did that sin. Can't believe you still struggle with that. Goodness, how long have you been a believer and you're still struggling with that? You're not worthy of God. Or how about this? When the enemy starts saying to you, yeah, you've gone too far. Too far for what? You, you've gone too far for God's grace. Can I just say something to you real quick? The cross is enough. The cross is stinking enough, man. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, Scott, you don't know what I did, then I'm going to say to you, then you don't know what he did. The cross is enough. And then maybe the enemy's coming at you saying, I don't deserve good. Scott, I don't, hey, I know we've heard this one. I don't deserve a good marriage because of all the jacked up stuff I've done over here. I don't deserve a good, I don't deserve good because of the stuff that I've done. I, I don't deserve that. Well, you're right. Have a good afternoon. No. <laughs> Can I tell you something? The only thing you and me deserve, the only thing we really deserve is death and hell. If you get all cocky and come to God and say, God, give me what I deserve, don't go there. Because, baby, truthfully, if we get what we really deserve, the floor opens up and we slip and slide to hell. That's what we deserve. Can I tell you something? Can I give you a beautiful word? That's why it's called grace. It is by 
grace. It is a gift that God redeems us, restores us, calls us, not creation, he calls us sons. And that's why the scripture is going to tell us this. The scripture is going to tell us in Romans chapter 8, and, and some of y'all, this is, this is what I call a tattoo verse, right? This is one you need to put in your brain. I literally had a friend of mine. It, it is a literal tattoo on him. It is Romans 8.1. It simply says this. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no, say no. There is no condemnation. Now, see, understand, and you see this just real quick. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction, praise God, is what the Holy Spirit brings on us to go, dude, don't go there. Condemnation is that voice that we hear when we went there that says, you're worthless. It says, God can't use you. It says, you went too far. My friends, that's condemnation. Condemnation is a judge saying, I condemn you to jail. And God says, therefore, there is no, no, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So we can look at Adam, we can look at Dave, we can look at Pete and Jonah and Moses. Uh, uh, let me hit this just real quick. Because some of y'all need to hear this one. For a long time, I, I, I really got to be honest with you, I kind of struggled and I hurt with Moses. Because here was God saying to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm going to use you, bro. And he led the children of Israel. Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery and captivity. I want you to hear this. God never leads, leads us out of something without always taking us to something. Does somebody grab that? Because some of us can just applaud and say, hey, Scott, I'm just glad I'm not going to hell. I'm glad I just got salvation. Hey, God didn't just take you out of something. God wants to take you into something. So, so here was Moses, and Moses taking the people of Israel to the promised land, and that's where, man, Moses' anger issue kicked in again. Instead of just speaking to the rock, he slapped the rock, and before he walked into the promised land, God brought him home. And I've thought about that, and it just kind of hurt because I've had times in my life where I thought I was right on the edge of moving into a new mountain, right at the edge of moving into a new blessing, and then just to have God said, yeah, stop here. And I looked at Moses and went, wow. Was God through with Moses because of, his, of that mistake? But then if you flip into the New Testament... You got a scene. You got a scene where Jesus, Jesus grabs Peter, James, and John and goes, Hey, dudes, y'all come with me. We're going up on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. They get up at the top of that mountain, and Jesus, the presence of God, just starts glowing on Jesus. And all of a sudden, appearing before them, Elijah, the prophet Elijah, shows up. But next to him, was Moses. Will you hear this? When the enemy says to you, God can't use you anymore. And when the world, when the world out there, and, and I hate to say this because some of the times it's inside of the church, the church may say, you're disqualified. When you hear those voices, when the world attempts to count you out, I want you to hear this, God calls you back. 
And in the same way that Moses, some may have said, well, Moses was done, God says to every single one of the men in this room, I'm not done. Do you really think you surprised God with the sin? Do you really think God was up in heaven going, he did what? (laughs) And his grace is sufficient. So there's no perfect climb. So let, 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 let me hit this now. Not only do we have our pains, our hurts, our trials that you and me go through because there's no perfect climb. Not only do we have that, but there is also going to be others who affect us. There are going to be others who turn their back on us. There are going to be others who speak against you. There are going to be others who betray you. I mean, here was Jesus himself, son of God. And out of those that he chose, there was the Judas. Think about this. Think about this for a second. Any of the epic dude movies, epic men movies. In so many of them, there's always going to be the person that betrayed you. I mean, my favorite movie still of all time, Mel Gibson, Braveheart. Right? And there's William DeBruce. Go ahead, go, go watch Gladiator again and see if there's not somebody who betrayed Maximus. <laughs> Remember when you were kids and we were watching Lion King? And there was Scar. The phrase, the phrase I remember hearing, et tu Brute? And you too, Brutus? See, gentlemen, here's the deal, is that it's a painful thing when people hurt us, but what happens? Does that wound go even deeper when it's a friend? Is it even deeper when, oh, when it's a brother? It's one thing to be hurt by the world. We can kind of go, well, you know, he's not a believer, man, and that's what non-believers do. But what happens when it's somebody in the house of God? What, is, what happens when somebody who hurts you is another believer? It wounds even deeper. But can I tell you this? Word of God addresses it. Listen to this passage. Blows my mind. Psalm chapter 55. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe was raising against me, I could hide. But it is you. A man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of the Lord as we walked about among the worshipers. shared with Mark that the church I'm a part of right now, I I literally went there as a consultant. I went there because they they had released, they had fired the former pastor. And two weeks before, he had left and They brought me in and said, Scott, could you help us kind of clean things up here at the church? Help us with our governance. Help us with our communication. Help us with our finances. And I went to the church and I looked at everything and I went, yeah, I I think I can. I think I could help you guys out with this and get ready for your next pastor. Because the other pastor had had left or so we thought. And actually the pastor hadn't left. The pastor was lawyering up. And I'd only been at this church for two weeks. 
And I come walking in on a Friday. It was pouring rain on that day. And I, I, I see all these cars in the parking lot of our office. And I come walking up and I come to find out that in the middle of the night, the locks on the church had been changed. And lawyers were inside of our church, man, handing documents saying, we're taking you guys to court. And we saw a church split. Now, here's the thing. Was I bummed with that? Yeah. Was I kind of ticked off a little bit with that? Yeah. But can I tell you who I really hurt for? I hurt for, I'd only known these people two weeks. But what I experienced was a civil war. What I experienced was a church where people used to worship together. I experienced a church where people were doing mission work together. I, wa I, I walked into a place where people used to be at the altar together, men side by side, man, holding hands and just praying for the presence of God. And I saw this church get split. And I literally saw a civil war took place. Listen, listen. The moment... You take something as perfect as God and mix it with something as jacked as man. We'll have issues. What I'm simply trying to tell you is this. You got pastors at this church who love you. There are men in this room, men who want to undergird you like, like Aaron and her. They want to undergird you. But what we've got to be able to see is simply this. None of us are perfect climbers. And we're, we're going to say things that weren't right. We're going to say things out of anger. We may do stupid stuff. But what I'm calling us to as people is simply this, to understand, first off, God is not man. And how many people, how many people you probably know, and maybe this is part of your story, who are people who said, I don't go to church anymore. Why? I got hurt in church. Heard it? Said it? Can I hit something real quick? After the gathering last night, after base camp last night, some of us, we went out and went to a restaurant and went to eat. My meal wasn't right. Waitress wasn't all that great. So I walked out of there and I looked at Pastor Mark and I said, I will never eat at a restaurant again. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> None of it. Any, anybody had a bad experience at a restaurant? Ah, every single one of us in here. Do you stop going to restaurants? No. no. Maybe you stop going to that one. Maybe. Maybe you stop going to that chain. I don't know. But do we stop going? No. We just had a bad experience there. And who knows? Maybe the waitress had a bad night. Maybe the cook had a bad night. But we don't knock off the whole thing because we had one bad experience. And nor should we do the same thing with church. If you're sitting here today, gentlemen, listen to me. If you're sitting here today and you have been wounded at some point in your life by church, first off, I'm going to tell you this. I'm sorry. God is not man. Don't walk away from God because of man. And I'll tell you this. I need to give the same level of grace that I want somebody to give to me when I get jacked and messed up. 
Inside this house, man, you're going to get hurt. But can I share this also? It's going to be inside the house that you're going to get healed. I told y'all that at my church, we had that civil war. We had that split. Well, this church that I'm a part of, it, it's been there 46 years. I, you know, I've been there just for a couple of years. But I can go throughout that city. It's, I can go throughout that city and I... And, I can meet people who would go, oh, yeah, oh, you're over at Lake Country. Oh, yeah, we used to go there. And you hear that conversation drop and you know what they're about to say. We got hurt there. And listen, I am, again, for that person, I'm sorry and I hate it and I hate what the enemy has done. But how many, can I say this real quick in love? How many people God has brought back to the church where they got hurt and they got healing. So there are many times, my friends, that some of the same houses where people have gotten hurt, they get healing. And I tell every single one of you in this place, God wants to heal you up. Whatever the hurt, the offense, Whatever the bondage, whatever the struggle, there's a God who says, I want my child, I want my son healed up. There are some of us in this room, and tell me if I'm missing this, there are some of us in this room, and you've been hurt by people, and God is saying, ultimately, I want you healed up of that hurt. I want you healed up, man, of that. I don't want you every time you see that person, man, you're putting the boxing gloves on saying, go ahead, say the wrong thing. So I wish you would. God is saying, I got sons in this room. And in the same way that Jesus, one of the, the very first thing Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. God wants his sons to be able to give forgiveness. God doesn't want you walking around wounded. And there are some of us in this room that you've got an offense. Maybe it was something that happened to you when you were young. Maybe it's something that happened last week. And you got this room where that offense is inside of. And for some of us in this room, you didn't just close the door. Baby, you bricked it up. And somebody talks about offense, talks about forgiveness. You're like, no, 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 we're not even getting near that room. This is what I want you to hear. God wants to do something in that room. There's a game plan that God has for that room, but what Father wants done is he wants you to give him permission and then for you and I to follow in obedience to move into that room and allow God to do cleaning in there so that God can do and bring about what he wants, what he has in store for that room. For every single one of us in this room, we need to understand this. There's no perfect climb. There's no perfect dad. There's no perfect friend. But there is a perfect God. And what God also wants to do is, I, I can't believe he wants to do this. He wants to work through jacked us. Perfect God wants to work through David. He wants to work through Trip. Well, I'll get back to you on that. But it was like the beard. He lost the beard. I didn't know who he was. Right? Uh, God wants to work through wounded people to bring about healing and wounded people.
And so I say to you today, guys, when the enemy speaks to you and says, you've gone too far, the grace of God can always reach you. The healing of God can always meet you. And when the enemy says to you, God can't use broken people, God will whisper in your ear and says, that's the only people I do use. You guys pray with me real quick. Will you just bow your heads with me? Father God, I I want to pray this right now. I want to pray for men in this room who have been listening to the lies of the enemy when the enemy has said you're not good enough. And the truth is we're not. That's why we have a breastplate of righteousness. We grab righteousness by faith that you give us. So for men in this room who feel defeated, in the name of Jesus Christ, we want to bring that sin. You said in John, 1 John 1, 9, if any man confesses his sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray for men in this room that have been beat up by the enemy who has constantly reminded them of that affair, constantly reminded them of that drunkenness, constantly reminded them of whatever that anger issue, whatever that issue is, the enemy continues to bring it to their face. And today's the day that we draw the line in the sand. Today's the day that we bring that sin, that offense, we bring it to God and say, God, I bring this to you, I confess this to you. So that when the enemy tries to bring it up into our face again, we're able to say it's covered by the blood it's been paid for. I pray for men right now who've been wounded by others. Because there's no such thing as a servant without scars. I pray for men in this room that today would be a day that we would begin the healing process with you, Lamb of God. That just even right there, gentlemen, where you are, if there's still that hurt, that offense, maybe it's somebody in this room, in this church, maybe it's somebody who's not even alive anymore, but Father still says, I want my son free. Daddy, today... Could we bring that hurt, could we bring that offense back to you and lay it at your feet and begin the healing process? Father, even today, as we talked about that there is no perfect climb, it's it's only by the grace of God. Maybe there's still somebody in this room today who they've heard the gospel message, but they've never received the invitation. The Father, today in this place, on this beautiful Saturday morning here at the church, that today would be the day that they would say, Jesus, I am asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to make me your son. I'm asking you today to make me a new creation. I turn my life over to you. Teach me to follow you in the community of believers of this place. So right now, I just want to do this real quick before we finish. Will you just take a moment? Will you just be still before God? And ask a master from today, from this morning here at base camp, 
What is it that you want to speak to my heart about? Master, I thank you for what you're doing here today. When the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Lord lifts up a standard. And I pray for men to be able to not only forgive each other, but for some of the men in this place today, to be able to forgive themselves. And to not keep remembering the sin, but to keep looking at the cross. To not say, I'm remembering what I've done, but I'm focusing on one, Jesus, what you did. And I speak freedom. I speak freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So we thank you for what you're doing in this place, Master. And we ask these things, Jesus, in your precious and your holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.